everything with the glory and never-ending love of God. Our thirsts were satisfied in the fountains of this love. There was no pain, no suffering, no war. My friends, it was so very good. But then the melody was broken. Like fabric, the seam ripped. Like vinyl, the track skipped. Like a toddler, the world slipped. And we lost the beauty and the glory and the rhythm of the song. In our pride, we rejected God and ruined the state of Shalom. But from the beginning, the king had a plan. A way to fix what was broken. A plan to use the chosen to redeem what was stolen. A plan to change the world. So to save humans, God became one. To forgive sin, he put it on his son. And though our king tasted death on the cross, his resurrection proves that he won. And through that cross, he saved for himself a family of sons and daughters through whom his glory would shine. God's forming a redeemed people, not to retreat to communes and steeples, but chosen to be a part of the rescue of the next few, an army of ambassadors defying the world's power structures and all its corrupt systems, its selfishness and greed that trample others in an instant. We are the resistance. And the movement spreads through the everyday, ordinary businessmen and soccer moms, grandmothers and good neighbors, lawyers, teachers, baristas, contractors, white-collar, blue-collar, no-collar at all, regular people like you and me, united by the one who lifts the curse of the fall, filled with his spirit, laying down our lives, denying ourselves for the good of others, giving ears to perceive gospel acoustics, inviting others to come hear the music, welcome to life on mission, join the everyday mission of God. Good morning. Hope you guys are having a good morning so far. I'm glad that we had the opportunity to sing Blessed Be Your Name because I think it fits very well with what we're even doing this morning as we're continuing our Life on Mission series. Today is our last day of the Life on Mission series, but the funny thing is is that just a series ends today. Our Life on Mission happens until the day we die. And uh, we need to continue to remember that. Actually, as uh, Ryan was asking me this week, hey, are we still doing that life on mission this week, so we knew what songs to kind of work into it all, and I said, hey, every day, all day for the rest of our lives, that's really what it's about, and that's what my challenge is to you. And as we've been looking at it, uh, I want to start off with uh, going back a little bit. This time last year, uh, right at the end of our At The Movie series, we did a uh, 80s night, or 80s weekend, and we had a lot of fun with it. People dressed up and uh, came with their side ponytails and crimped hair and such and stuff. Not me, but everybody else did. And, uh, you know, we, we had some fun with it. But in that process, we went back and looked at some things from the 80s. Well, today I want to do kind of the same thing to start off with. And I want to go back to Atari. And back in the day when I was a little kid, uh, I liked Atari. And as I liked Atari, this was the, the quality graphics that Atari put out, the Atari 2600. And that game right there came out in 1982. And anybody know what game that is? Pitfall. Minecraft, I think, stole the idea from it all uh, yeah, a few years later. But uh, Pitfall was one of my favorite games. And one of my favorite games to go over to my friend Jerry Masalius' house and play because I didn't have Atari at my house. And uh, if I wasn't able to go over to his house, I had a friend across the street. His name was John Dirtle, and he had what was called Intellivision. And I'm not sure if you ever heard of Intellivision because it was one of the lower-end systems, but it had kind of a phone-looking keypad with a circle on top, and you could play Pitfall on it as well. Pitfall went across all these different gaming systems, actually still available today on your uh, 
uh, in your Apple or Android device. You can still get Pitfall and play that, if you will. That's what we do all week here at the church, in case you wonder what we do, on, since we only work on Sundays. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's this, this game, and, and this game, I believe, has a lot to do with life. And, and I look at this game, and if you ever played it, the, the game has uh, Pitfall Harry. That is your, your stick figure guy over here in the corner. And Pitfall Harry, he had to go through 32 levels. And 32 levels, your, your job was to get to the end of each level. And in the process of getting to the end of each level, you had treasures that you were try, trying to collect, but at the same time, pitfalls that you were trying to avoid. And those pitfalls were things like quicksand and tar pits and snakes and crocodiles and scorpions and, and all of these things you're, you're trying to avoid on the way to get there. And I got to thinking about this game this week as I was writing up this life on mission and looking at the end of this life on mission. And, and uh, as we, we, we wrap up the series, there's some things you need to understand. Today will be a, a very personal message for me and from me uh, because of pitfalls that have come along in my life and my life on mission. And I believe that uh, life is a great teacher. And it's great to learn from your mistakes, but it's better to learn from other people's mistakes. So I would like for you to, to take that into account today as we move forward and we look at this life on mission. Because this pitfall, as we say, blessed be your name, in the good times and in the bad, well, some of those pitfalls can, can be bad. And some of those pitfalls can be really bad. And some of them can just be subtle to knock us off of our life on mission what God has called us to do. And if you go back just a few weeks, we've really been doing, uh, since the beginning of September, we talked about the mission and purpose of the church and the mission and the purpose of you who make up the church and of me who make up the church. And as we see it play itself out, the last three weeks we've talked about this life on mission. In the first week we talked about the big picture. We talked about this big picture of, of God taking your everyday, ordinary life and intersecting his mission into it. And as you are going, not having to go across the world, you just have to go across the street to share and live out this mission that God has for you. The second week, we talked about if you are going to go out on a mission, you better know the mission and have this gospel foundation and understand what the gospel is because the gospel is the mission. The gospel, meaning good news, is us taking that good news into a world that desperately needs to hear good news. So understand that and have that biblical foundation. Then we went into week three, which was last week, and I said, now it's time to put it into practice. And I said, there's four words I want you to hold on to for me. And in those four words, they all started with I. And in those four words, the first one was identify. I want you to identify the needs of the people that God has you cross paths with on a regular basis and then meet them. And in that meeting them process, it leads us to investing in them. That means time. That means resources. That means effort. And that even means money. And we, we identify and we invest in these people as, as, as we're moving forward. And as we're investing in them, we're building these relationships. And as we're building these relationships, it carries us into inviting them to meet Jesus. Not inviting them to church, which is fine, but that's not the goal. The goal isn't to get people to church. The goal is to get people to Jesus and allow them to meet Jesus and understand who he is and what he's done for you and that they have the same thing done for them, which then leads us to that increase. And that increase is because we've started a movement and people have heard the word and when they've heard the word, they are changed by that word, by that gospel, and then they go and do the same thing and it's a cycle that continues to happen. Funny thing is, I told you last week, I've, I've had this burden on my heart, and, uh, you know, I, I shared it with you, and I said, you know, there, there's something about single parents that, that just has been laid on my heart. I feel that the, the, the church has missed, and there's something about um, 
kids with special needs that the church has missed. And I believe both of those areas are, are areas where the church needs to come together to, to reach out and be able to minister. And, and this was kind of just a personal thing on this level. Well, a uh, crazy thing happened this week. Uh, well, over the last uh, couple weeks, we sold our house and we bought a new house uh, in the process. And we're excited about that. And, and we, we're uh, out in Enchanted Hills and we're we're out looking at the house, doing the home inspection, and walking around with the home inspector. And in the process of that, uh, our realtor said, hey, the lady who owns this house knows you. And I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. And uh, um, so and apparently the lady who owned the house uh, goes to Westside Cumberland uh, Presbyterian. And I know the pastor over there real well. But five years ago when I was going through cancer, they had got their prayer team together. And she was on the prayer team and had prayed over, prayed over me. So she's like, I'm really glad that a pastor is going to be in this house. She goes, because across the street... There's a single mom with a kid with autism. And I went, well, that's coincidence. Um, you know, God just happens to work in coincidences. I believe Albert Einstein says it, that uh, God uses coincidences to remain anonymous. And uh, uh, it, it's life on mission. It's about going across the street. It's about taking what God has given you in your everyday, ordinary life and intersecting that mission that he's called us to. And we see that play out in all of this. But here's the deal. As we look at that and as we look at all these things, as you're moving forward, ministry is going to happen if you live a life on mission. A lot of times we think, well, ministry is just for those guys who are full-time, those women who are full-time staff members at whatever church, that they're the ones that do the ministry. But your everyday breathe in, breathe out, connection with other people, if you're on a life on mission, you are doing ministry. And if you are doing ministry, things are going to come from that. Fruit is going to come from that. And as it comes from it, there's going to be some resistance. And the reason why there's going to be some resistance is because we are going against the flow of the world. Just like if you're going against the flow of a river, you're going to get resistance. And the harder you push against the river, the harder that resistance is going to be. So when you're going against the flow of the world that says, just, just go with it, you're going to get resistance. When you're going against the, the flow of culture that says, just go with it, you're going to get resistance. But most of all, Satan, and this is the reason why we've had gremlins, because I mentioned his name today. Satan... He, he doesn't want to see progress. He wants you to be ineffective and, and useless. He doesn't even care about destroying your life. He just wants you to be ineffective. So when people go, oh, that's what a Christian is? I don't have to be a Christian. That's what he wants. And he'll use his demons for that very thing. And in that, as we push against that and we're being effective, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get pushback. And the funny thing is, is as I've met with people over the last few weeks, we are in the process. We have one year left in this building. On October 31st of 2017, we're done here. We're at least, our lease is up here. Now, what we do next is what our leadership team and hopefully you guys are praying about. Where God would have us go next? Where would God would use Paragon next? Is it here? Is it continuing here? Is it buying this building? Is it buying a different building? Is it leasing a different building? All questions that we have, but there's one that's, that's been coming up uh, over here in 528 Northern. Maybe you've seen it. It's a little bit higher up there on the top of the hill. It's a white building for sale. We've been praying over that one, and we have a meeting hopefully this week, uh, by the end of the week, and excited about the possibilities because it's about four times bigger than this building is, which would be awesome, and uh, have the ability to have classrooms and have the ability to be able to do these different things. And I was talking to some different guys uh, that are church planters, and they say, man, your church is just ready to explode. And all of them, all of them together said, I think the one thing that's holding you back is your size of building. And I said, well, that's, that's interesting. But, but even as, as we were saying that, I said, you know, as we push forward, as we move forward as a, as a church, and we move forward into reaching out to this community, and we move forward into seeing more lives change for Christ, we're going to get resistance. 
So I would ask you, even in that, to be praying for me, to be praying for Jerome, to be praying for my family, to be praying for Jerome's family, because this resistance is, is going to be an attack. As a matter of fact, I, we're beginning to move to the eldership process in a meeting with different men to say, is this something you'd like to do so we can present it to the church and the church can say, yes, I agree, or no, I don't agree. And we're going to be working through this process. And I met with a guy this last week and I said, do you want to be an elder? And you know what his answer was? No. And I went, what? Okay, I kind of thought you, you did. And he goes, I don't, I don't want to be an elder. He goes, because I was an elder at my old church. He goes, you know what happened when I was an elder as the church moved forward? I was attacked and my family was attacked. And it was brutal. He goes, there were some low, low times and it was attacked by people within the church. It was attacked by out, people outside the church. It was attacked by Satan himself. He goes, but God, if God's called me to be an elder, then yes, I will be an elder. He goes, but I don't want to be an elder. And I thought, you know, that's the truth. Leadership of the church needs to be prayed for. The people of the church need to be prayed for. There's going to be resistance as we're on this life on mission. Whatever God has called you to do, there's going to be resistance if you're moving forward, if you're going against that flow. And I think to myself, you know, sometimes we look at the resistance, we look at Satan, and when you hear the word Satan, with Halloween coming up, our first image that comes to our mind is what? Okay. That is Satan. That is exactly Satan, right here in the midsection. But uh, now, if you take the next step in that, when you think of the costumes, you you don't picture Satan in a white robe shining and being beautiful, right? No, you you picture him with a pitchfork, red outfit, horns, crazy-looking tail kind of thing like that. That is our picture of the devil. When I read Farside, which dates me again, going back to the 80s with Atari, um, when I read Farside, they always have the devil looking ugly. But... When you stop and you pause and you look at Scripture, we've been deceived into believing that. We understand that he is the great deceiver, that from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when he met Eve in the garden, that he deceived her. And as he deceived her, he has continued to deceive us through all the time, and it'll be happening to the very, very end, because Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, he is the deceiver of the world. From beginning to end, he is there to deceive us. And in his deception, these pitfalls that come into our life aren't always going to be the big, obvious, boom, don't do this. It's just going to be these subtle little things. And there's going to be like a sleight of hand, kind of like an illusionist, kind of like a magician, where just enough to get your attention over here to slide in a trick that's over here. And the crazy thing is, I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of this guy. There's a guy by the name of Harris III. Harris III is a classically trained Christian illusionist. And as he's a Christian illusionist, uh, he's got a great testimony. And in his testimony, he came to our student uh, Lives Ablaze conference back over Labor Day weekend. And I personally thought he was better than the actual speaker. Because he used these illustrations of this illusions to say, look how I slightly tricked you here. And look how Satan can just slightly trick you here. Just enough to throw you off. He has a little video about this illusion of more. And this illusion that will pull us off to the side. I want you to watch that for me for just a second as we do this. And we'll get into this life on a mission. So you mind running that for me, Cam? The grass is always greener on the other side or so they say. But I can tell you from personal experience, that's a lie. But it's a lie that we all get tricked into believing. And getting tricked as an illusionist, that's something I understand. For example, multiple surveys have been done to try to figure out how much money we need to be happy. If you ask someone who makes $30,000 a year how much they feel like they need, the response wasn't always, I want to be a millionaire. The majority simply said, if I had about $40,000 a year, that would be enough. 
but can you guess how people responded who made $40,000 a year? They simply said, if I had about $50,000 a year, I would be happy. And that trend continued, even in the income brackets of people who made hundreds of thousands of dollars. The answer, no matter how much we have, is always just a little bit more. And this doesn't just happen with money, does it? We see this play out in every single part of our lives. As men, we become convinced that we have something to prove, that we have to show the world that we are man enough, smart enough, strong enough, successful enough. Our culture is constantly telling us that we never have enough, that we're never good enough. Therefore, we keep reaching for just a little bit more. Our wives and daughters get tricked into believing that they aren't beautiful enough, thin enough, or perfect enough, partly because, like us, they're taking in four to 5,000 messages and photoshopped advertisements a day telling them that they aren't, and partly because most of us men are so busy seeking our own approval that we don't invest the time in telling them the truth, that they already are beautiful. But what if we did? Not just told them that they were, but loved them like they were. What would happen if we all discovered who we were created to be? What would happen if our lives were rooted in the truth that in the eyes of our creator, we have nothing to prove because his love is a gift and not something rooted in our appearances or performances. Look, God does not love a future version of you based on a life you will someday live. You can find hope and peace and joy in the fact that you already are enough and not because of anything that you do, but because of what Christ has already done. Everything that you need to find fulfillment is right in front of you. You just have to open your eyes. Unfortunately, our eyes are easily deceived. And to better understand the truth, you must first understand the illusions that you have been tricked into believing. Adam and Eve had perfection, the entire Garden of Eden, and they still reached for the illusion of more. And unfortunately, we've been reaching for that same illusion ever since. turns out the grass is not always greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. We New Mexicans understand that terminology better than anybody else. The grass is greener where you water it, and that's true. Where are you investing your time? What is the illusion of more that is pulling you away? I liked when he said in there that that in order to understand the truth, you first have to understand the illusion that is pulling you away from the truth. And I look at these pitfalls, and I told you kind of up front that, that, you know, we're going to be digging deeper into the gospel. We're going to be moving forward. We're going to experience resistance. We're going to, to, to have these things happen in our lives that as we move forward, there's going to be illusions that are going to pull us away from the truth. There's going to be places where, he, where Satan is saying, no, you should probably water here in order to make this happen, and you're going to leave something else dry. And I told you from from personal experience that there is plenty of mistakes that I've made along the way in ministry and in life. And as I've made those ministries in in, in this life, or mistakes in ministries in this life, I, I look at the pitfalls. Because like I said, that game is to get through levels. And as you get through levels, your job is to get to the end, collecting treasures along the way and to avoid the pitfalls. So I would like to tell you about some pitfalls that as you're in this life on mission, just as you're in life in general, there's going to be these pitfalls. And maybe have a plan ahead of time. I know that's a crazy thought. But have a plan ahead of time on how to avoid those. 
So what I would like for you to do is just kind of follow along with me as, as I share about some of these different pitfalls that are there. And, and there's a saying that I think that all of these will kind of all tie in together and all interlock into each other. And, and the, the saying is this, and I've shared it with you before. It's from a pastor um, that used to be up in Seattle. Now he's down in the Phoenix area. But he said this, you can have a good thing that God has blessed you with that is great, and it can be ministry, it can be life, it could be your family, it could be whatever it is. And in that good thing, when we make it a God thing, which means we worship it instead of the Creator, it becomes a bad thing. And, and that's the ministry pitfall I think we have. And even a life on mission can become a bad thing if we make it a God thing. If we start to worship the mission versus the God who gave us the mission. So as we jump into this, let's pray together real quick that God would speak to us and that, that if maybe if you're struggling in one of these areas or all four that I mentioned, that God would work in your heart in this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are once again. And thank you for this life you've given us on mission. Help us to stay focused on you. And as we look at these pitfalls, if we have not hit them yet, God, that we're planned and, and ready to go to get over them and get through them. And if we're in the midst of it, God, may we turn back to you. Pray in your name. Amen. Four pitfalls that I have and uh, that I've experienced, and if you don't believe me, you can just ask Christy because she sat with me through each and every one of them, and she might be sitting with me right in the middle of one right now. Who knows? First one is this, is misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities. Many people live on mission, get their priorities out of whack. I get my priorities out of whack all the time. I begin to, to focus on the, and, and like I said, the four that I give you are all going to inter, interlock and intertwine, but I begin to focus on the feelings that you get from doing ministry, the feelings that you get from doing whatever you do in life that, that, that encourages you, and you, you see the encouragement, and you see the ability to measure, and as you're able to measure it, it gives you like, hey, I'm doing something here, and we begin to focus on the mission once again versus the God that, that gave us the mission. We begin to say, I'm going to put all my time and all my effort and all my everything into that, but the thing is, is that if we give all of our time and all of our effort into that, something else is being left out. If we put all of our water into this, something else is going to go dry. And the problem that I've had in ministry, and I know many, many ministers that have had in their ministry, and it can happen in your life on mission, you don't have to be full-time for this to happen, is that our families get neglected. Our families get neglected. We get so focused on this area where we can, uh, even as uh, Harris III said in the video, we get so focused on, on getting our own achievements, getting our own uh, success, getting our own accolades, and, and feeling good about that. We leave those who need us to pour into them behind. And, and I've seen it in my own life, and I hate it when it happens. And the thing is, is that it's just subtle. It's not like I wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to neglect my family. But it happens. It happens, I'm sure, in jobs. I'm sure it happens in sports. I'm sure it happens in all areas of our lives that we neglect the one thing that matters the most. Because I believe this about ministry. God has given us ministry, but this ministry will continue without me. If I were to die today, this ministry will continue without me. If I were to be called someplace else, this ministry will continue without me. Because it's not about me. It's a, it's a lesson that I've had to learn because there's been many a times where, you know what, I'm just going to be honest with you. In two weeks, I'm not going to be here. In two weeks, I get to go out to Phoenix for a, for a, um, 
a reunion, a 20-year reunion for college. Uh, they're, they're having all the, the basketball team that won the national championship 20 years ago come out, and, and we're going to hang out in Phoenix, and it's going to be great. And I have Dave McGill speaking that weekend. A couple of years ago, I probably wouldn't have told you that. You know why? To be afraid you weren't going to show up. Oh, Matt's not there. Well, guess what? It's not about me. And I started laughing because I, I started counting the amount of, uh, and I hate to use the word former pastors, but uh, current full, or former full-time ministers in our church. And last night we counted six that came to last night's service alone. And I know Bob, he's, he's number seven. And am I, am I leaving anybody out? Yeah, you've been on our church staff, Stephen, so, so that's number eight. And I know there's two more that will probably be coming in the next hour. And you think, man, we have a church of about 150, and at least 10 of them are former full-time ministry people? There's a reason for that, that I can hand these things off. It's not about me. It's about God working together with all of our gifts and doing these things. But becomes, in such a way, we think it's about us, and we think it all rides on our shoulders, so we leave the family behind. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. See, the way it's supposed to work is that God has the ministry taken care of, he has put us in charge of a very important ministry that is our own, and that is our family. That is for us to invest in our kids. That is for us to invest in our spouse. That is for us to, to work in that area. That is our specific one. The ministry here at the church can be done by everybody. The ministry at home can only be done by me. And so we have to hold on to that. So as we look at these, these things, you know, it, it's funny. There's a, a book that was written by um, Andy Stanley not too long ago, and it's called Choosing to Cheat. And it said, when family and uh, ministry collide. And what he says in the book is basically this. Somewhere you have to cheat someone if you're going to give more time to something and not live a, live a balanced life. So if you're going to choose to cheat, cheat ministry, not your family. And I thought that's exactly what we need. So if there's a plan to have ahead of time, this is it. Love your family more than your job. Love your family more than your ministry. Not saying you have to hate the other, but love your family first. And I know when I get home today, that will be told to me. Because sometimes we get out of whack. And sometimes we have to plan for that stuff. The second thing is this. The second pitfall that I've run into and I believe that we all run into is called lack of margin. And lack of margin is how busy we are. Our lives are running this way. and We have a, a gap on each side that we have for rest. And many times in our lives, we take and get rid of that margin. And we push our lives to the very edges of everything we can do. And we have a lack of margin. And we begin to think that as long as I am busy, then I am doing something productive, then I am successful. And we tie those things all in together. And we say, well, as long as I, then I but let me be very honest with you. The longer the to-do list is not the longer badge of honor. Our busyness is not a badge of honor for us to wear. It's not a badge of honor for us to wear. Uh, you can glorify God in rest. Did you know that? You know why I say that? Because isn't that what he called us to do? Isn't that the example that he set for us? Is to actually have a day of rest, to have a Sabbath you know, in Genesis chapter 2, did he not set that up by doing it himself? Did he not get to that place in that? Let me ask you, what is your day off? I can tell you what day is supposed to be my day off. But that's about as far as I can get. Because a lot of times that day off gets filled up with non-day off stuff. We need to rest. As a matter of fact, there's a book that's called... Uh, 
Sabbath restoring the sacred rhythm of rest by Wayne Mueller. And he said this, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our busy lives, then illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our heart attack, our car accidents create Sabbath for us. I thought about that because this last week, um, I was sitting and watching the, the Packers debacle on Sunday afternoon and my phone rings. And my phone rings, and as it rings, it's a nurse over at Presbyterian that, that comes here on Saturday nights. And she says, hey, Pastor Matt, um, is there a way that you can come down to, uh, to uh, Rust Hospital? Uh, there's, a, there's a guy here, he and his wife and his 12-year-old son, uh, he just got a, a terminal diagnosis of stage 4 cancer. Um, and they can't get a hold of anybody at their church to come down and pray with them. And they're pretty distraught. Can you come down here? And I went down, and I said, sure, I can do that nothing good on TV anyway, and um, so I, I went down there, and I was, I was uh, sitting in the room, and I just listened to them. It was a, probably a good two hours that I sat and just listened to them, and they were, they were talking about decisions that had to be made, and I said, hey, you, you just got this diagnosis. Let it, let it sink in. Let, you, you've, got, you've got a week that they're going to make you sit in this hospital, and he's still there today. So you've got a week that you're going to be sitting in this hospital, and as you're sitting in that hospital, you're going to have plenty of times that there's no doctors, and there's no people, and you're just going to sit there. I said, your mind's going to run. I said, use that time to rest. Use that time to listen to what God would have you say. Don't make the decision today on whether or not you do treatments or not. Don't make the decision today on, on, on how you're going to do this. Don't start writing your will out now. I said, because here's the deal. And I was very honest with you. You guys know my, my oozing compassion that comes out. I was very honest with him. I said, hey, you're not dead and you're not done. God can still use you no matter what. I said, I don't care if you've got tubes in you or not. God can glorify himself in this situation, whether you live or you die. And I told him, I said, the thing is, is we're, we're all going to die. You just got a diagnosis to say pretty good chance of when it's going to happen. It doesn't change how we live. It doesn't change our life on mission. I said, but now you get to rest and you get to think about it, and how God's going to do it. How often do we rest? How often do we stop and think about it? How often are we like Jesus? If you look throughout Scripture, Jesus takes time. He had three years to change the world. Yet he took many, many days to stop and pray and rest and rest in God. I mean, if you look at it, I believe it's Luke chapter 5, and I might just be pulling that out of the hat, but I believe it's in Luke chapter 5 that he heals a paralytic, and all these people get all excited about what's going on, and, and they start bringing all their, their friends who have infirmities, all their friends who have diseases, all their friends have this, and guess what he does? And I want to say it's Luke chapter 5, verse 16. And he escapes the crowd to go pray. There's lots of things to do, and he could do it, but he chose to go away and pray. And if Jesus had to do that, I believe we need to do the same thing. We need to take time. We need to rest. As a matter of fact, we see an example of it way back in Exodus. Exodus chapter 18. I know some of you are like, is he ever going to use the Bible today? Yes, I am. Exodus chapter 18. In Exodus chapter 18, we see Moses. Moses is busy. He's got lots and lots of people that are following him, and lots and lots of people that have lots and lots of problems. And in Exodus chapter 18, verse 13, his father-in-law comes and hangs out with him at work. That doesn't always sound entirely appealing. I'm just going to be honest with you. But his father-in-law comes and hangs out with him at work. And as he's hanging out with him at work, he's like kind of watching everything that's going on. And in the process, I mean, Moses is doing some really good things. He's helping people. He's sharing scripture with people. He is he is bringing people through judgments. He, he's doing a lot of good things, a lot of God work even, ministry things. 
But he's doing it from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to bed. And there's constantly a line that's going on there. And that's in verse 13. In verse 17, Moses' father-in-law, he says to him this. He says, what you are doing is not good. But I just said they're good things, right? I just said they're, they're good things that he's doing. He's doing ministry. He's doing all this stuff. Why is it not good? Well, in verse 18, he goes on to share. And he says, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. See, here's the deal. None of us can. But the good news is, is Christ has come alongside of us. He's brought people alongside of us. He's in us. He's using us. He's working in us to do these things. But we don't have to try and do it all at once. We don't have to try and do it all at the same time and pack our schedules full. And he goes on, and Jethro, who's, who's Moses' father-in-law, gives him the steps of things to do. It says, this is how you need to accomplish it. In verse 23, it picks up. It says, if you do these things, the steps of things that you need to do, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. And the great thing is in verse 24, it says this. So Moses listened and to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he said to do. How many times somebody says, hey, you just need to slow down. We're like, yeah, I heard you. But we're not listening and we're not doing. It's something we need to understand. Moses listened and he did things differently. Life has seasons where we have to work hard, but there's going to be other times where we just need to rest. It's that rhythm, the rhythm that needs to take place. We need the rest in our lives or we will burn out. If we're on a life on mission and, and we're burnt out, guess what? Our life on mission isn't much of a mission. There's not a whole lot of good news when you're burnt out. Trust me. I understand that, and I bet you do too. So the plan is, as you aggressively seek to be on mission, listen to God. Be careful to trust in God in that area and rest in Him. Rest in God. Third pitfall that I've run into, and maybe you have too, and that is this. It's wrong mentalities. Wrong mentalities. We get this mentality of two different ones that I've mentioned. The first one is this, is that somehow, some way, you're the only one that can do that specific ministry. Somehow, some way, we, we get caught up in that. We know that's not the truth up front, but somehow we said, if I miss, then I will, and you fill in the blank. We get very nervous about that, about what might happen. What if I'm gone that weekend? Will the attendance go down? Will the offering go down? Will the, you name it, and we kind of get caught up in that kind of stuff. So we have to be very careful about walking into that. We get the wrong mentality. Here's what Scripture has to tell us about that, though. It's not about you. It says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church, and as the Corinthian church is sitting there, they're arguing with one another. And as they argue with one another, one of them is saying, well, I was baptized by Apollos. Well, I was baptized by Peter. Well, I am a transformation of Paul. And they're getting in arguments about that. And Paul sets them straight by saying this in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but who gave the growth? God. We somehow get confused in that. We think we have to give the growth. We don't give the growth. God gives the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is what? Anything. You're nothing. It's not about you. But only God who gives the growth. We have this mentality somehow or another we have to, to do it because only we can. And that actually is when we fall victim to another mentality, and that is the Lone Ranger mentality. The Lone Ranger mentality. We think we have to do it all by ourselves, too. 
Not only can we not step out and let somebody fill in the gap, we just aren't even letting anybody step up and help us because we think we have to do it. It's a common American thinking, is it not? Look at our superheroes. You have Superman. You have Spider-Man. You have Iron Man. You have Batman. Only one of those that I mentioned has a sidekick, and that sidekick's pretty worthless. I mean, when you really think about it, everybody's doing it on their own. Think about our action movie stars. How many of them are doing it and saving the world all by themselves? All of them. And we take that in. And we say, I have to be that same way. I have to be the one who steps up and does this. But here's the deal. The church is a body that works together. And when the load gets heavy, it's easier to do it all together. Let me ask you a question. I, I was doing wheelbarrowing not too long ago, and I was wheelbarrowing a bunch of heavy rocks. What part of your body do you use to move a wheelbarrow? That's right, all of it. You know how I know that? Because the next day, my whole body was sore. Every single muscle in it was sore. And it's because it wasn't just my hands that were holding the wheelbarrow, and it wasn't just my arms to get it up off the ground. It was my whole body, from my feet to my neck, that was working on this and getting it that way. Because the load is heavy. And guess what? In life, the load can get heavy. In life on mission, the load can get heavy. And we get caught up in that. So we have to have a plan that that slight deception, that somehow you think you have to do it by yourself, that slight deception says that you're all alone, is right there. And and we begin. It was not like we wake up and say, well, obviously I have to do this by myself. It just kind of goes that way. Because it's just a sleight of hand. Now, most magicians don't do a major thing to distract you. They just do something small to make you look over here while they do something over here same thing Satan does. He gives us that illusion that something else is wrong. So the plan is we need to understand that together we're better suited to carry out God's mission. Together we're better suited to carry out God's mission. The fourth fourth one and probably the one that I struggle with the most, like I said, I'm just being open and honest in an open book here, ministry idolatry. Ministry idolatry. When you take that good thing, ministry is a very good thing, but you make it a God thing, and that's what you base your emotions on. What you worship to make you happy or make you sad becomes a bad thing. You know what days are a tough day for me? Tuesday. Tuesday. And the reason why Tuesday is a, a tough day for me is because Monday is supposed to be my day off. Uh, Tuesday is a day the finance lady comes in, and she gives me the report. And on Tuesday is when I get the attendance, and I take a look at what the attendance was for the weekend, and Tuesday is when I get the financial numbers for the weekend. And if they were good, Tuesday's a good day. And if they were bad, Tuesday's not a good day. Because I forget that God is God no matter what, that blessed be your name no matter what, that, that this, is, this is more than that. And, and that is just in the full-time ministry perspective. And I get so wrapped up in that, and I hate that I do it, but I do it. And I want to change it, and I want to say, oh, I'm glad that we only had a couple of quarters come in this weekend. I'm really excited about that. The, the building payment will be due this week, but that's okay. He'll, he'll take those quarters and the rest of everything else is supposed to go with it. Those kind of things get, get caught up in our heads, and guess what? We do the same thing with numbers. I, I've told you before, our goal this year was to have 52 baptisms. We have 12. We're 40 behind, and we have 10 weeks left. We've got to get busy. Got to get some baptisms going today. I, I don't know if you guys are ready for that. The water's a little cold down by the river, but we'll make it happen if that's what you want to do. Four. We need four today. Uh, you know, that, that's the, the thinking that you start getting into, and you say, well, wait a second. You know, God has a plan. It is, I'm not worshiping the mission. 
I'm worshiping the God of the mission who has taken his mission to intersect it into my life to make this happen. And that's me. Where are you in that? Maybe you're trying to share Christ with a friend and it is like talking to a brick wall and you're just really defeated. Is God in control? Yes. Are you in control? No. It's easier to say than it is to actually believe though, isn't it? And we get ourselves caught up in ministry idolatry. We get ourselves caught up in these things. It goes back to that 1 Corinthians verse, that passage where Paul says, it's not about the individuals. It's not about the human beings. It's about God giving the growth. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe. Not leaders even, servants through whom you believe as the Lord has assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The goal in our church, the goal in our lives, the goal in everything that we do is what? We said three things. Number one, glorify God. Number two, edify the saints, lift up the saints, encourage the saints, encourage those people that are at church. Number three is to evangelize the world. But number one, we glorify God in the next two. Number one, we glorify God in our life on mission. We glorify him in our rest. We glorify him when we're pouring into our family. We glorify him when we are making sure that he is priority number one. We're doing what he's called us to do. Instead of worshiping the mission, we're worshiping him. Ministry, like many other things, is a great thing. But when it becomes a God thing, that's where we have the problem. I got to thinking about this life on mission. I said, what if? What if every person that is on mission understood these things? What if they planned for every pitfall? What if they had a plan to say, I'm not going to make ministry my idolatry? What if they had a plan to say, I'm going to love my family more than my job and my God? Or, sorry, no. Uh, scratch that. Uh, uh, what if I loved my God and my family more than my ministry and my job? What if we had these plans in place? What if every follower of Christ really, truly believed that their life is a life on mission, that as they are going, that they can make a difference? And they can make a difference because they've allowed God to come in and take over. When they step back and say, it's not about me. It's God who gives the growth. What if we did that? Well, here's what's going to happen. We're going to see this world change. It's going to start with your world, the people that are in your world. It's going to see needs being met. It's going to see those who've been disenfranchised with the church and disenfranchised with God meet him in a new and refreshing way. It's going to see the whole change take place in the little people that are around you that's going to spread and it's going to spread and it's going to spread. It's about that, that increase that we talked about by identifying the needs, by investing our time and our efforts into those people, and then to invite them to Jesus so we can see that increase. What if that were to take place? What if we took those steps? What if? What do we do next? What if we let spiritual maturity happen inside of us? What if we let discipleship happen around us? What if these things took place? I believe that our slogan would come true, that we can come as we are, we can be changed, and then we can go change the world. That's our call. That's what we're supposed to do. And we do it because God is God, and we are not and that he is in control, and that we are not. And he's given us a mission, and that's what we're supposed to follow. Not worship that mission, but do the mission of the one we worship.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are once again. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for helping us even through some of these pitfalls. Maybe there's somebody in here that's struggling with that. Maybe that somebody's me. Maybe in all of this, there are some things that, that need to be talked about. Maybe in all of this, there are some things that we need to, to focus on. Maybe it's just starting off to understand that life on mission isn't every day, all day, part of your ordinary breathing in and breathing out. It's about sharing you. It's about investing in others. It's about identifying their issues. It's about inviting them to Jesus. Maybe that's what we're struggling with in here. Maybe somebody's struggling with a time balance and they have no margin in their life. They're not resting. Maybe today's the day they need to do that. Maybe they have ministry idolatry. Maybe they have misplaced priorities. God, we know all these tie in together and maybe we're struggling with all four. I pray you're speaking today. And if you are, God, that we can pray that this is something that we can move forward with. This is something we can, we can pray about and see you begin to change in our lives so that, God, we don't take this good thing you've given us, this life on mission, and make it a bad thing by making it a God over you. Instead, we get to worship you and live in such a way that we do it. We get to say it's not about me. We get to pray that prayer that your son taught us, that it is your kingdom come and your will be done, not ours. We pray that today, God, in your name. Amen.